0: The double murder had struck most people as especially cold. Armed with shotguns, the brothers, then 18 and 21, had surprised Jose and Kitty Menendez while they sat watching TV and snacking on berries and cream in the family room in their Beverly Hills mansion. More shocking was to find their two kids facing them with guns. I'm Joyce Grace, and this is Shots of Endorphins. The Menendez Brothers case is a very interesting and intense story in which had circled around all media back in the early 90s. So today I wanted to discern their story and what had happened. Now remember, all material was taken from different sources and is only used for informational purposes. Joseph Lyle Menendez, born on January 10, 1968, and Eric Gallen Menendez, born on November 27, 1970, shot and killed their parents, Jose and Mary Lois, although went by Kitty, in the family Beverly Hills, home on August 20, 1989. The prosecution's theory of the case was that the killings were motivated by greed and the brothers' desire to acquire by early inheritance of their parents' considerable wealth, that the Fans claim that Lyle and Eric killed their parents out of fear for their lives after years of physical, sexual, and psychological abuse. Lyle and Eric were arrested in March 1990 and held without bail in the Los Angeles County Jail. The case was delayed more than two years by legal battles over whether prosecutors could use as evidence potentially incriminating audio tapes made by the brothers' psychologist, Dr. Jeremy Oziel. Lyle and Eric were charged in Los Angeles County Superior Court with two counts of first-degree murder while lying in wait and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. The prosecution sought the death penalty against both brothers. The trial court judge Stanley Weisberg ordered that the brothers be tried together in a single proceedings with two separate juries. The trial commenced on July 20, 1993, in the Van Nuys divisions of the Superior Court. The prosecution's key witness was Dr. Oziel, who testified that the brothers had confessed to the killings and discussed with him their motivations for killing their parents. Banned from the trial by the California Supreme Court was an audio tape recording of Oziel and the brothers others in which they talked about the killings. The tables later played for the jury's defense case. A deputy coroner testified that Jose and Kitty both died on multiple gunshot wounds. Jose was shot six times. Kitty was hit 10 times. Each of them had a contact wound to the head caused when the muzzle of the shotgun was held against the victim's head and discharged. They each also had at least one leg wound in the knee area. The prosecution argued that the brothers directed shots at their parents' left knees in order to make the killings look like a mafia hit. There was no apparent damage on either victim's kneecap itself. The prosecution presented evidence supporting their theory that Lyle and Eric killed their parents out of greed. At the time of their death, Jose and Kitty's assets included the family home in Beverly Hills valued at between $3.5 million and $4 million with a net value of $1.5 million and a second home in Calabasas valued at $1.35 million. Jose also owned stock in live entertainment the company for which he served as a chairman on the board, worth $5 million. Jose and Kitty originally prepared a will in 1981, naming their sons as the only beneficiaries. According to his brother-in-law, in June or July of 1989, Jose decided to take his sons out of the will because he was unhappy with their conduct. In particular, Jose was frustrated with their spendthrift habits, their lack of academic achievements, and certain incidents in which they had gotten into trouble. Jose made it known to the brothers that he was preparing to take them out of his will. It is unknown whether Jose actually prepared a new will before his death. In the absence of any new will, the terms of 1981 still withstood, and Lyle and Eric inherited Jose and Kitty's entire estate. In addition, the brothers each collected over $325,000 in life insurance proceeding after their parents' death. In the weeks and months following the homicides, both Lyle and Eric spent substantial sums of money. On August 24th, four days after the shooting, the two brothers went shopping together at a jewelry store in Century City, purchasing three Rolex watches and two money clips totaling over $15,000. Within a few months, they both rented units at an upscale condominium complex in Marina Del Rey. Sometime in September or October, they hired a tennis coach retaining his services for one year at $6,000 per month. On his own, Lyle purchased a restaurant of $550,000 using a $300,000 loan from the East estate for a down payment and attempted to purchase two separate patio homes with down payments of $26,500 and $12,900 respectively in Princeton, New Jersey another Rolex watch, a Saab 900 Turbo as a Christmas present for his girlfriend, a $64,000 Porsche 911 Carrera Cabriolet for himself, and many thousands of dollars worth of clothes. He also expended significant sums to cover the startup cost of a commercial real estate investment company he created. For the younger one, Eric purchased a customized Jeep Wrangler for approximately $21,000 paying in cash. Over the Christmas and New Year's holiday, Eric went with a group of friends on a trip to Lake Tahoe and Reno during which he gambled away somewhere between $5,000 to $8,000. Sometime in February of 1990, Eric paid the expenses for him and his coach to travel to Israel to participate in a tennis tournament. Also in February 1990, Eric went shopping for homes and made an offer of $1.1 million on a house in Marina del Rey. However, Eric was arrested on March 11th, and the sale was never completed. A computer consultant testified that Lyle hired him to locate certain computer files related to Jose's will. Lyle's former girlfriend testified that Lyle asked her to give false testimony. In the weeks following the crime, both brothers advocated the theory that the killing of their parents was business-related or was arranged by the Mafia, according to some witnesses. These statements, along with the nature of the gunshot wounds, led detectives to pursue the organized crime theory during the investigation. The facts of the homicide were largely undisputed by the defense. Both brothers testified and conceded that they shot their parents to death on the night of August 20, 1989. The position of the defense was that Lyle and Eric lived in fear of their parents due to a lifelong pattern of abuse. Lyle testified that both of his parents were physically and psychologically abusive towards him throughout his life. He also testified that his father sexually molested him for approximately two years from the ages of six to eight. Eric gave similar testimony regarding abusive conduct by his parents. However, his testimony regarding sexual abuse at the hands of his father was much more extensive. According to Eric's testimony, his father regularly and severely molested him from the time he was six years old until the time of the killing when he was 18. The brothers also testified that Events in the days leading up to the shooting caused them to fear for their lives. On August 15, 1989, it was a Tuesday, Eric told Lyle that he was being sexually abused by their father. On Thursday, August 17, Lyle confronted his father about the sexual abuse of Eric, threatening to report it if Jose did not stop. As a result of this confrontation, Lyle and Eric felt that their lives were in danger. Both brothers testified that their parents had threatened to kill them at various points of their lives and both thought that their parents were capable of carrying out such threats. Eric in particular testified that on one occasion when he refused to engage in sex with his father, Jose threatened Eric's life by holding a knife to his throat. Furthermore, both brothers testified that Jose threatened to kill them if they ever revealed the sexual abuse of Eric. Accordingly, Lyle and Eric believed that after Lyle's confrontation with his father on August 17th, Jose and Kitty formulated a plan to kill their sons before they could report the sexual abuse. Lyle and Eric also knew that their parents firearms. Thus, the brothers felt that they needed some way to defend themselves and so, on Friday the 18th, they tried to purchase guns at several different stores in Los Angeles. After learning that handguns cannot purchase immediately, they drove from Los Angeles to San Diego where they bought two shotguns under false identification. Matters came to a head on Sunday, August 20th. Lyle and Eric thought that their parents were making arrangements to kill them that day. In the evening, there was a family argument about the brothers plan to go out for the evening Jose told Eric to go to his room Eric believed this meant that he was going to be killed and that his father wanted to have sex with him first Lyle again confronted his father about the sexual abuse of Eric at the end of the arguments Jose and Kitty ordered Lyle and Eric to stay in the house instead of going out and then went into the den and closed the doors at that point the brothers testified they believed that they were in imminent danger of being killed by their parents in a burst of passion. Panic and fear, they both retrieved the shotguns that had purchased, burst through the doors of the den, and in sheer panic, emptied their shotguns. The brothers testified that they felt sure someone must have heard the noise and called the police. But when no one came, they decided to gather up the shotgun shells, fearing that fingerprints on the shells might be detectable. The brothers then drove to a movie theater to buy tickets for the purpose of establishing an alibi. Following that, they set about finding a place to dispose of the murder weapons, ultimately depositing them in a secluded wooded area near Mulholland Drive. Later they stopped at a gas station to discard other incriminating evidence, throwing the shotgun shells and blood spattered clothes into a garbage dumpster. Eventually, they returned home and made up preparations to call the authorities. They agreed to tell the police that they were at the movies at the time of the killing and discuss the details to ensure their respective stories corresponded. Lyle then placed a call to the police and they went outside to wait. When a patrol car arrived, the brothers ran up to the officers, screaming and acting hysterically. When the brothers were questioned that night, they led the interviewing detective to believe that they had nothing to do with the killings. In addition to the brothers' testimony, the defense called a group of relatives, neighbors, and former teachers and coaches of Lyle and Eric who testified that Jose and Kitty were abusive parents. The defense also called several mental health and psychiatric expert witnesses who explained what effects the abuse had on Lyle The defense further called witnesses to attack the credibility of Dr. Waziel. After the close of evidence, Judge Weisberg ruled that the brothers were not entitled to an outrage discharge based on self-defense because, given the facts, they could not have reasonably believed that their lives were in imminent danger. Judge Weisberg did give the jury's defense requested instructions on both voluntary manslaughter and involuntary manslaughter as to both victims based on the imperfect self-defense and caught in the moment of the heat of passion. The defense argued that the brothers' fear of being killed while unreasonable was held in good faith and asked the juries to convict the brothers of an offense no greater than involuntary manslaughter. The jury in Lyle's case began its deliberation on the afternoon of December 10, 1993. The jury of Eric began deliberating on the afternoon of December 15, 1993. On January 13, 1994, after deliberating for 106 hours, Eric's jury reported that it was a hopeless dead end and Judge Weisberg declared a mistrial in the case against Eric. On August 28, after deliberating for 139 hours, the jury in Lyle's case also reported being deadlocked, and Judge Weisberg declared a mistrial with respect to Lyle as well. Thereafter, the court began preparing for a retrial of both brothers. Judge Weisberg again ordered that the brothers be tried together in a single proceeding, however that in the second trial there would be a single jury for both brothers. The retrial began on October 11, 1995, again in the Van Nuys Courthouse. During the second trial, the prosecution did not call Dr. Oziel. Instead, they played the audio tape recording early in their case. The prosecution did not call the deputy coroner who performed the autopsies and testified during the first trial, instead of calling a private pathologist who testified that Jose suffered four separate wounds and Kitty suffered nine. They also presented a new computer-generated reconstruction of the killings and again introduced evidence of the brothers' post-crime spending spree. The prosecution further presented evidence of so-called escape plans found in Lyle's cell, as well as witnesses who testified that they had been asked by Lyle to fabricate evidence. Also, a family friend who was an attorney testified that on August 21st, the day after the shooting, the brothers went to his home to seek his assistance in locating and probating their parents' will. They seemed particularly concerned about accessing their father's computer to find out if it contained a new or amended version of the will. When the attorney suggested that that perhaps the will was kept in the family safe, the brothers returned home, retrieved the safe, and immediately brought it back to the attorney's house. They also went to a bank with family members to check the contents of a safe deposit box in their father's name. In each instance, when either the safe or the safe deposit box was opened, the brothers asked anyone else who was present to leave the rooms so that the brothers could open the repository in privacy. No revised will was ever found. Therefore, the terms of 1981 still stood, and Lyle and Eric inherited all of Jose and Kitty's fortune. The defense again took a position that Lyle and Eric killed their parents out of fear for their own lives. Lyle did not testify on his own behalf during the retrial. However, Eric did take the stand and again testified the same information he gave in his last hearing. In response to persecution objections, Judge Weisberg put sharp limits on the defense, in part by restricting testimony about the brother's childhood and scaling back expert testimony. The group of teachers, coaches, relatives, and friends whose testimony they took weeks in the first trial was largely excluded as irrelevant. After the close of evidence, Judge Weisberg ruled that there was insufficient evidence that the brothers were in imminent danger. Judge Weisberg further ruled that He would allow the juries to consider a voluntary manslaughter verdict in the killing of Jose based on the theory of heat of passion, but ruled out that option in the killing of Kitty, finding that there was insufficient evidence of provocation on her part. Accordingly, Judge Weisberg refused to give instructions on manslaughter to Kitty. In closing arguments, the defense asked the jury to acquit both brothers in the killing of Kitty and to convict them in and to convict them of voluntary manslaughter in the killing of. Of Jose. The case was given to the jury on March 1st, 1996. On March 14th, Judge Weisberg replaced two jurors due to medical reasons and ordered the jury to begin its deliberation anew. On March 20th, 1996, After four days of deliberation, the jury returned its verdict, finding both brothers guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. The jury also found true the special circumstances, allegations that the brother committed multiple murders and committed the murders while lying in wait. The penalty phase of the trial began on March 27, 1996, and on April 12, the jury began its deliberation regarding punishment. On April 17, 1996, the jury returned its verdict, fixing the penalty for both brothers' a life of imprisonment without parole. On July 2, 1996, pursuant to the jury's verdict, Judge Weisberg sentenced each brother to two consecutive terms of life without the possibility of parole. Following sentencing, the brother jointly appealed to the California Court of Appeal. On February 27, 1998, the state of Appalachia Court issued its opinion affirming the judgments of convictions. Both filed a petition for review for the California Supreme Court, which was denied on May 27, 1998. Therefore, both brothers filed petitions with the California Supreme Court, which were denied in 1999. Having exhausted their appeals remedies in state court, the brothers filed separate petitions in the United States District Court. On March 4, 2003, a magistrate judge recommended that the petitions be denied. The district court adopted the magistrate's judge's report and recommendation. Subsequently, they appealed to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal. On September 7, 2005, a three-judge panel issued their ruling affirmation the denial of both brothers' petitions. But many ask, where are the Menendez brothers now? Well, in February 2018, Lyle transferred from Mu. Creek State Prison in Northern California to R.J. Donovan Correctional Facility in San Diego, where his brother was incarcerated. In April, Eric found himself in the same housing unit as his brother, where they would get to interact for the first time in more than 20 years by participating in educational and other rehabilitation programs together. Upon seeing each other for the first time in more than 20 years, the brothers burst into tears immediately and hugged it out for a few minutes. Without saying, any words to each other. Then the prison officials gave them an opportunity to spend an hour together in a room. before I finish, it seems that the Menendez brothers have a new generation of defenders, which you can find on Instagram and TikTok. A thousand accounts across TikTok have been dedicated to freeing the convicted brothers. These new groups of supporters have been sending letters to Governor Gavin Newsom and the Los Angeles County DA George Gascon to try and get them to take a second look at the Menendez case and free the brothers. One fan said they didn't do it for the money, she continued. They didn't, you know, do it because they hated their parents. They wanted the abuse to stop. I don't know, after the whole story, it's a bit of a difficult situation. When you see after so many years have passed, they might be different people with different mindsets. Everyone changes within years. You're not the same person when you were 18 and are now 40 or 50 years old. Either way, I will leave this open for y'all's interpretation. This episode on Shots of Endorphins was produced and scripted by me, Joyce Grace, and a shout out to my research team. Heads up, Shots of Endorphins has its very own website now, so you can visit the site and listen to the podcast at ShotsOfEndorphins.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram by searching up Shots of Endorphins or subscribing to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other streaming services you're listening to. And when you do, don't forget to shoot me a greeting. It's nice to meet new people. As always, thanks for listening, and don't forget to smile.